I'm excited to jump into God's Word together this morning. Today we are concluding our Rhythms of Life series. We're concluding this series where we've been all summer, where we've looked at um, the spiritual rhythms or disciplines that we keep as believers. We've looked at the rhythm of reading God's Word and pursuing God in prayer, of fasting and meditating, memor- uh, meditating on God's Word, memorizing Scripture, serving one another. And what I hope we've discovered, I, I know that what I've discovered, is that these disciplines are so much more than a box that we check. There's so much more than a checklist that we keep as believers. These are the means that God has given every believer for sustaining joy and power in their life. And so I have loved this series. And this morning, we are going to look at the last four rhythms for this series. Now, if you've been here, you've noticed the other weeks we've preached one rhythm every week and we're going to preach four this week. I don't want you to worry. I'm only going to give each rhythm uh, an hour's sermon. So we'll have lunch delivered. You can relax. It's no big deal. About three o'clock, we'll tap out and go. I'm just kidding. All right. But these four rhythms that we're going to look at this morning are essential to the life of the believer because they define for us Uh, what it means to live a life that is engaged with the local church. The rhythms we're going to look at are rhythms that we keep to be engaged with the local church, with the body and the bride of Christ. You know, one of the things that we have, I think one of the issues that we have in our country is that we don't place a high enough value on gathering at the local church. Our culture is inundated with Christian uh, books, with Christian conferences, with Christian music and and, and, and like uh, separate Bible study classes and those sorts of things. And here's what tends to happen. What tends to happen is the church begins to lose its significance in our lives. Now, there is nothing wrong with those things that I just named, uh, the, the, the Christian literature and the Christian things that we pour into our lives. There's nothing wrong with those things, but too often the church is diminished and it's just treated as another event we participate in. But I want you to hear me say this. The local church is not an event, right? Right? It's, it's not any, an event we do. It is not a place we go. It is a people we are. Are you with me? Church is not a meeting. It is a movement. And that's the vision we have to have for what God is calling us to do. Jesus, I believe that Jesus always intended for the church to be at the center of the Christian's life not an add-on. It was never meant to just be something we add on to a very full life. It was meant to be at the center of our lives. I believe God's intention was always to gather people that would be in covenant relationship with him and with one another. You see this priority all over God's word, but if you read the book of Hebrews, what you find is that uh, the writer said that to forsake The gathering in the local body was to forsake Jesus himself. That's that's a powerful priority. Um, But I want to be clear on something. 
Being a part of the church doesn't make you a Christian. You know, I think a lot of people think that because I come to church, I'm a Christian. And, and maybe those people have never actually experienced the transforming power of the gospel, and they think they're doing okay because they come to church. But listen, coming to church doesn't make you a Christian, but if you are a Christian, then being in the church is something you will do. You with me? Coming to church doesn't make you a Christian, but being a Christian means that you will engage fully in the local church. And we made this priority a part of our vision here at New Beginnings. Um, our vision at New Beginnings is to become, if you know it, I want you to say it with me, to become an authentic biblical community that transforms our city and impacts the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now I want you to notice uh, the order of those words. The first thing we say, our first priority is to become an authentic biblical community. Why? Because until we do that, until we are connected with one another, until we are living life together, until we are grafted into the body, walking as an authentic biblical community, we will never transform the world. We cannot impact the world. Jesus hasn't saved us to live as Rambo Christians. Everybody know what a Rambo Christian is? Rambo just took on everything. You know, he charged hell with a water pistol. He was a solo. He was always by himself. Jesus didn't save us to live like that. He saved us to see the world impacted and the city transformed by being a part of the body of Christ. So how do we live um, how do we rightly value this in our lives? How do we set this value of engaging in the local church? And I think what we begin to see this morning are four rhythms. I think we see it in the early church. We see um, that from the moment the early church began, they had four rhythms that they kept. And these are the rhythms we're going to look at this morning. These are actually core values for us here at New Beginnings. So we have our vision, and then we have four core values, which are the way we get our vision done. And here are those values, and they're the rhythms we're going to talk through this morning. They are gathering in worship, growing through community, giving to the kingdom, and going on mission. Those are the four rhythms that we're going to look at. But if we look back at the last six months, if you look back at the last six months, those rhythms have been interrupted. Gathering in worship has been interrupted. Going on mission, we had to cancel mission trips, has been interrupted, right? Our, our community has been interrupted. You know, about two years ago, I woke up on a Thursday morning. It was going to be a normal day. We had a great day planned. We had this outing we were going to do with the staff. And I woke up Thursday morning, and I felt a very strange sensation uh, in my chest, now, I had had heart palpitations before, but this was something altogether different. Um, my heart was beating completely out of rhythm, and it, it wouldn't come back. So it felt like it was perpetually skipping beats and putting in extra beats, and it felt very strange. It was very scary, and it would race. It would slow down, and my blood pressure would go drop. Would drop. I was feeling weak, so I go to the doctor, and they hook up every light and laser and lead on planet earth to you. And they're, you know, reading. And sure enough, he, she says, uh, Mr. Darby, your heart's an AFib. I thought she was calling my heart a fibber, like a liar. And I was like, no, my heart don't fib. My heart tells the truth. 
And uh, she said, your heart's in AFib. Well, what does that mean? It means that the chambers of your heart aren't working together. They're working against one another. They're not beating in rhythm. And I'm telling you, I don't know if anybody else in here has experienced AFib, but it will shut you down. And my whole day was interrupted. And I feel like the last six months, coronavirus has put us into spiritual AFib. Does anybody else sense that? It's just interrupted, right? So how then do we reset that rhythm? How do we begin to have our hearts beating in that healthy rhythm of engaging in the local church? I think it's through these core values we're going to see in God's Word today. So grab your Bible and go to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 42. Now, to give you some context on where we are in in what's going on in the book of Acts, um, Jesus has died. He's resurrected. His disciples have seen him ascended now into heaven. They have gathered in the upper room, and Pentecost has come, right? The Holy Spirit has fallen, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they have now left the upper room, and Peter has preached an epic sermon to the people of Jerusalem. And he was preaching that Jesus was crucified, that he was dead and buried, but that God raised him up from the dead. And it says in verse 37 of Acts chapter 2 that when the people of Jerusalem heard him speak, they were cut to the heart. And they had this question. They looked at the disciples and they said, brothers, what must we do? And Peter said, repent of your sins and be baptized in the name of Jesus. And that day, listen, day one of the church, 3,000 people came to faith. One day. That is staggering in and of itself. But here's what happened. Now, yesterday, there was no church, and today, the disciples have a 3,000-member church. (laughs) What do we do? What, What... What do we prioritize? What is most important? This didn't exist yesterday, and now here it is. So what are we going to do? What are we going to value as the body of Christ? Let's look and see what those 3,000 people valued. Look at verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God. And having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Let's pray. Lord, when when we consider 3,000 in a day, it is is mind-blowing, God, that you would save 3,000 in a day from, from one sermon. But God, I... I pray you would help our hearts see it 
as a declaration of what you can do when your people declare the gospel and declare Jesus as supremely satisfying. And Lord, I pray you would do that today, that you would move in a powerful way today. God, I know my heart, it is prone towards self-exalting to make much of me, and I'm praying, God, you would, um, that your Holy Spirit would just do a work in me, God. And on behalf of, on, for the sake of your church and for the glory of your name, would you just magnify your word? Would you magnify your presence? Would you magnify your voice and speak to us? We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the first words we see in verse 42 is the word devoted. It said they devoted themselves. What does that word mean? It implies this that they continue to do something with intense effort. Devotion to something means that something has to be a priority in my life. You're not devoted to anything that isn't a priority, right? If you're devoted to something, then that something is a priority in your life. It says they were devoted, and they never stopped being devoted. What is that? It's a rhythm. They had this rhythm of devotion to one another, to the church, to living out their lives. And what we're going to unpack this morning are the core values, the rhythms they kept in that devotion to the church. So let's unpack these four rhythms. Here's the first one, and it is this, to gather in worship. It is evident that the early church valued engaging God's presence together. We see it um, when they gathered in uh, small gatherings in their homes, and then when they gathered in large corporate gatherings at the temple. Verse 46 of, of Acts 2 says, And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. And these gatherings, they would open God's word. They would sit under the, the preaching and the teaching of God's word. They would break bread together and take communion, the Lord's Supper. They would pray. They would pursue God. They would, they would sing and worship. And the most important thing they did, they did all of that because they wanted to encounter the presence of God together. Verse 43 is one of the coolest verses, I think, because it says, and awe came upon every soul. Think about that word, awe. When was the last time you saw something and you stood in awe? You just stood in awe. Luke is writing for us here in Acts chapter 2, and he said, God was doing such things as they gathered in worship that they just stood in awe of what God was doing. They experienced God together and they were devoted to gathering in worship. Why? Because that was all they had. Think about this for a moment. They didn't have Christian books to read. None of them even had a copy of the Holy Scriptures. They didn't have that. They didn't have Christian music to listen to and extra Bible study classes to. All they had was one another. They didn't have anything else. You know, when my wife Carrie was in college, she was a missionary up to uh, the northwest area of the country around Oregon. And 
when she was up there, uh, after we started dating and got married, she would just tell me stories about being up there. And she said, you know, the Sunday morning gathering of those believers um, was so important because there were so few of them (laughs) that gathering together wasn't considered optional. It was absolutely essential. They couldn't do without it. And that's the picture that Luke is painting for us here. These new believers in Jesus Christ did not see gathering together as optional. It wasn't something they added on to their life. It was absolutely essential to their life. It was at the center of their life to gather in worship. You see this throughout church history. You see it in the early church, um, this devotion to gathering in worship. In 155 AD, Justin Martyr, who was the first Christian apologist, he was the first person to write anything in defense of Christianity. He wrote this uh, in 155 AD. So this would have been some 75 to 80 years after these events in the book of Acts. And he said this, and on the day called Sunday, all who live in cities or in the country gather together to one place, and the memoirs of the apostles or the writings of the prophets are read as long as time permits. Then when the reader has ceased, the president verbally instructs, I think it's good they called the preacher the president. You guys can do that if you want. Uh, (laughs) The president verbally instructs and exhorts uh, to the imitation of, of these good things. Then we all rise together and pray and partake in the Lord's Supper. But Sunday is the day on which we hold our common assembly because it is the first day on which God, having wrought a change in the darkness and matter, made the world. And Jesus Christ, our Savior, on the same day rose from the dead. This is the early church, 2000 years ago, and already they had placed a priority on gathering and worship, and already they had placed a priority on doing that on Sundays because it was the remembrance of the resurrection of Jesus. But I think they did it for another reason as well. Because within the first generation of the church, they had already learned a very important lesson They had already learned that while, yes, God is personal and his presence is accessible to us at any moment as followers of Jesus and as sons and daughters, while that is true, there is a unique manifest presence of God when we in the church gather together. I enjoy time alone with the Lord. I do. I enjoy sitting at my kitchen table with coffee in the morning before anybody gets up. I enjoy uh, driving and listening to music or uh, teaching of God's Word. I enjoy those things that I do at time of prayer when it's just me and the Lord. But can I tell you, there is a unique manifest presence that I experience when I gather with you. And it's different than when I'm by myself. It's not the same. You guys have heard me talk about how much I treasure gathering in worship because I think when we gather in worship, we are never more connected to heaven. Because what's happening in heaven right now? 
It's saints and angels around the throne, and they're making much of Jesus. So when we gather together as the saints of God and we make much of Jesus, I think we are divinely connected. It is a divine rehearsal for what we will do forever. And I think there is a unique presence of God that we get to experience. So listen, church family, I am challenging each of us to be devoted to gathering each week with a desire to encounter that manifest presence. Amen? I need that. I want to come anticipating. I want to come expecting to meet with God. So they gathered in worship. Here's the second thing that we see. They grew through community. To grow through community. Look at verse 47. It says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship. Everybody say fellowship. Fellowship. We're Southern Baptists. Fellowship is a love language word for us, okay? We know how to get down around fellowship. I know how to do that, right? They were devoted to the fellowship. But when, when Luke writes the word fellowship, he isn't talking about an event they came to. He said they were, he's talking about a people. They were devoted to the fellowship, that unique partnership that they had with one another, it, 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 it's not a people, or excuse me, it's not an event, it's a, it's a people. That's the picture Luke is painting for us, that these believers did life together. They didn't just gather in large gatherings, but they gathered in small gatherings to share meals and to meet each other's needs and to encourage one another and to study God's Word. They were devoted to this. These were not spectators at a meeting. These were members of a spiritual family. They grew through gospel community. They were a family. But let's be honest, family is hard. I mean, I've heard, mine's perfect, but I've heard that family can be hard. <laughs> why, is, why is it hard? Family is commitment, right? Family is working through it when I don't feel like it. Family is is celebrating victories and laboring through defeats. It is being there for one another. Over and over again in the Bible and in the New Testament, we see that phrase, one another. See, over and over again, one another. And it is often around a spiritual command that we are called to do for one another that we cannot do unless we are in proximity to one another. You're, you hear that, what I'm saying? God has given us commands of things that we must do for one another that we cannot do if we are not in proximity to one another. Meaning what? That most of the commands we have in the Bible, we can't do in isolation. We do them in community with one another. What do I mean by that? I mean, if you look at uh, Romans chapter 12, verse 16, Paul says, that we are to live in harmony with one another. Well, how do I live in harmony with you if I'm not in community with you? Uh, Galatians chapter 5, verse 13 says, In love we are to serve one another. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 2 says, Be, be patient, bearing with one another in love. The point is, we can't obey those commands in 
isolation. They demand relationship. They demand connection, devotion to one another, accountability. And listen, that's not easy, but God's plan has always been for his people to live in authentic biblical community. That's God's plan for us. So how does this play itself out here at New Beginnings? It plays itself out through what we call life groups. That's where it plays itself out. These, what are life groups? They are small gatherings of people who meet for the purpose of building gospel-centered relationships. Because in gospel-centered relationships, we are encouraged. We are equipped. We build one another up toward spiritual maturity. And listen, I need you to hear me say this. We need one another. Do you believe that? We need each other. It is, it is, we need that encouragement. We need accountability even when we don't want it. And we need to get out of isolation. We need to get our families out of isolation and get into community. Why? Proverbs 18.1 says, The man who isolates himself seeks his own desire and breaks out against all sound judgment. Hear me say this. I know Matt Darby. And Matt Darby in isolation will do Proverbs 18.1 all day long. I will seek my own desire and I will break out against all sound judgment. And so will you. So how do we war against that? We get in to gospel community. We grow through community. If you are not in a life group, I want to encourage you this morning. Do not leave until you've gone out the door in the back. There's a table set up in our lobby and our foyer there. And I want you to go get some life group information. I want you to meet Ben Lofton, who's our uh, adult groups minister, and he will help you get connected to a group. They gathered in worship. They grew through community. Here's the third thing we see. They gave to the kingdom. This is a core value we have at New Beginnings, to give to the kingdom. Look at verse 44 and 45. It says, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and their belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. What we see is that right away in these new believers, there is a radical generosity that, raised, that, that rises up among them. They made sacrifices and they gave to care for the people of God and to advance the mission of God. Understand, these believers are days old. They're days old in their faith. These aren't people who've been walking with Jesus for years. They got saved yesterday with 3,000 other people and today they go, I got to give my stuff away to bless others and enhance the mission of God. What changed? What happened in that moment? They encountered the radical generosity of Jesus. Radical, faithful generosity is one of the greatest evidences that a heart has been transformed by the gospel. And that's what happened in these folks. They saw, um, they received the grace they didn't deserve, right? They received the mercy they hadn't earned. 
And they, they looked full on into what it cost Jesus Christ to save us. And having received that gift and seen that generosity, they opened their hands and said, I am going to give so that other people are transformed by the same gospel. One of the defining markers, I think, of spiritual maturity is not how much we know about the gospel. It is how much we live out the gospel. What do you mean? I mean this. I could have a head full of biblical information. I could tell you the gospel story from memory. But if it doesn't cause my heart to be transformed and cause me to live open-handed and how I give to the local church and serve others, then I'm not living out the gospel I say I know. They experienced this radical transformation and it changed how they lived. But I know this. This is a hard rhythm. Can we just own that? Let's just be honest. It's a hard rhythm. Um, being faithful to give tithes and offerings is difficult, especially if you've never set it as a rhythm in your life. Because it means there's got to be a shift in priorities. It means we have to intentionally set aside a portion of our income and devote it to the work of the Lord. And I want to be honest with you for a moment. There were years early in Carrie and I's marriage where we did not do this well. I didn't lead well. And we just didn't do a good job of this. Our giving... Um, was exclusively out of what was left. I know you're not shaking your head, but I know that's true for some of y'all too. Our giving was based on what we had left, not on what God had given. Are you with me? But as we began to set this rhythm in our life and in our marriage and for our family, while it was difficult, we began to experience God in new in deeper ways. Why? Because when we opened our hands and were generous, we gave him room to work in our life. Believer, I want you to hear me say this. God is an infinitely better steward of your money than you are. Are you with me? He is an infinitely better steward of your resources than you are. He is so much better at, at, at stewarding my money than I am. So why do I live open-handed? Because when I open my hands, when I give my tithes and offerings, when I give to the kingdom, I make room for God to meet me there and do something that only he can get the credit for. Because as long as I hold tightly to what I have, I can take credit for everything in my life. But the moment I open my hands and I let it go, God meets me there. And then he does what only he can do. And then he gets the glory, not me. And he gets the adoration and not me. And he gets the praise and the attention and not me. I am so thankful. I am so thankful to serve in a church of such generous people. I want you to know that my family has experienced the generosity of new beginnings for nine years in I am so thankful for it. Um, God uses your faithfulness 
Over the last few years, we have seen thousands of our local teachers uh, all over East Texas being served and loved. We've seen thousands of families receive boxes of food that they couldn't afford. We've seen tens of thousands of dollars spent on food to give. We've seen thousands of first responders loved. We've sent hundreds and hundreds of people on mission to see thousands and thousands of lives changed for the kingdom because of the faithfulness of our church to give to the kingdom. Now, with me, imagine what could be accomplished if every single one of us had this rhythm. So where do you start? We acknowledge this is a hard one, so how do we start? The answer is this. You start. You start. You say, Pastor, I don't, I don't know if I can go from zero to, to 10%. Great. Go from zero to something and make that something a priority that you will not let go. You will hold that and you will give it faithfully and it will come out before anything else comes out and give God room to meet you in your family's finances and your family's resources and see what he'll do. See what he'll do. He is a, do you believe that he's faithful to his word? Oh, he's faithful. Give him room to work. They gather in worship. We grow through community. We go, or excuse me, we give to the kingdom. And here's the last one. We go on mission. We go on mission. Look at verse 47. It says they were praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. God was using these brand new believers to transform the lives of other people through the power of the gospel. Because these new believers were living on mission every single day. If you just read the book of Acts, you'll see that. The book of Acts is the history of the church from the moment it began to the uh, incredible work that the Lord did through it. But what you see in these first believers is that they were transformed, they gathered, they grew in community, they gave their things away and live open-handed, and then God began to use them to see men and women move from darkness to life every single day day. They cared for the needs of their community. They preached the gospel in public settings. They shared Jesus with their neighbors. They loved those who were being persecuted. And when persecution came their way, they didn't ask God to remove it. They just faithfully preached the gospel through it. When persecution came their way, they didn't ask God to remove it. They just faithfully preached the gospel. They lived on mission. Church, God has called New Beginnings um, to be a people who do more than just gather in seats and listen to sermons, even awesome sermons like today, right? We are to be more than a people who just gather and sit in a seat and listen to a sermon. God has called us to be a people who are mobilized for battle because we have experienced the transforming power of the gospel. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ and he has saved you, you have been filled with the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit wants to use you to take Jesus to the world. It's time for some of us to move from spectators to soldiers. I think too often we, we, we approach the local church. Um, maybe you've heard this illustration before. We approach the local church like a cruise ship. Anybody ever been on a cruise? Great. When you're on a cruise, what do they do? They completely cater to everything you want, right? You, you're, all your wants and desires, it, it, 
they cater to every need and every want you have. And some of us approach church that way. I've come to have my needs met. I've come to, to have a good time and to, for this to be about me and for me to feel a certain way. And I am telling you, we aren't called to approach the local church like a cruise ship. It's, it's not a cruise ship. It's an aircraft carrier, which means we are actually on mission, and we've been called to come to this place so that we are filled up, we are recharged, and we are immediately sent back out to live our lives on mission for the kingdom. Amen? That's what this is. I love verse 47. This is the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Man, that's the goal. That's the aim here at New Beginnings. We want to see people every day, every week, every Sunday being transformed by the gospel of Jesus. I want God to add to this number. This is what we've been called to do. Aaron Loy said this. He said, the church does, doesn't exist to meet your needs. You are a part of the church that exists to meet the needs of the world. So listen to what he says next. So put away the shopping cart and pick up a shovel. Are you with me? We have been called to live on mission. They gathered in worship. We gather. They grew through community. We are going to grow through gospel-centered community. They gave to the kingdom. We will never shy away from teaching God's standard of living generously. We just won't do it. And they went on mission, and we will be a church who will go on mission. So here's the challenge that I want to just put in front of you this morning. I want you to think about your heart individually, and then I want you to think about your family. So think of your heart individually. Where are these rhythms in your life? Are these rhythms a regular part of who you are? Are they a part of your devotion to the church? Now think about your family. How is your family doing with these rhythms? You say, Pastor, the truth is, uh, two out of the four, we are doing great. Good. God has called us to gather, to grow, to give, and then to go. So, I am pleading with you, do not neglect this, but rather run hard after it. Give God all the room to glorify himself in your life as you increase your devotion to his bride. Amen. Let's pray, and then uh, Ben will come. Father, thank you for your word, and thank you for um, the power of your truth and Lord, I am asking that as we go today that we would be moved, Lord, that you would stir in our hearts a devotion for your church to worship you, Lord, to grow in gospel community, to live generously, and to, to be on mission for you. Father, I thank you for our church. Thank you for these amazing uh, people and these families that we get to share our life with. And I pray that new beginnings, Father, would always be a church that is living on mission for you. We ask that in Jesus' name, amen.